KDAL's Master Gardener, Bob Olin. And away we go with the Bob Olin Show here on the 7th of February already. Good morning, Bob. Well, good morning, Dave. Uh, 7th of February, day's getting a little longer, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, they certainly are. Actually, a couple minutes every day, it seems like we're uh, getting an earlier sunrise and a later sunset. Can't ask for more than that. No, we really can't. And some warm weather after last week. Yeah. What's the old expression? Minnesota, if you don't like the weather, just wait a day, a day something like that. Yeah, below normal <laughs> last week and above normal this week. So I guess we average out. Yes, that's right. <laughs> great, great, great. Boy, lots to talk about today. You know, uh, folks, I'm sure, are perusing through the seed catalogs. They can mm-hmm. take a little look at that. You know, I hate to mention it, but this is an excellent time of year to be pruning fruit trees. Uh, we're going to have some warm weather coming up. You might have to get on your uh, snowshoes to get to them. Right. But uh, <laughs> the nice thing is, in many cases, you can reach these, these smaller trees very easily with either a lopper or an ex- extended lopper, and uh, you could do a little pruning up. So I thought maybe we could touch a little bit on that, why it's so ideal. They're still dormant right now. We get a little break in the weather. You really want them pruned up before... Uh, before the spring weather comes and before you start to break bud. So this might not be a bad opportunity. We're only going to take one or two cuts is about all you typically need, but it should almost be done annually. You know, oftentimes I'll get out on someone's landscape and uh, they haven't pruned a tree for 20 years and you've got this big tangled mess and they want to kind of bring things back into uh, a semblance of productivity again because they will lose productivity if they're not pruned properly over time. And uh, then it becomes quite a quite an undertaking where you're going to have to do maybe one-third or one-quarter over a four-year period just so you don't take so much of that uh, that tree off. But um, now is an ideal time. A lot of new trees have gone in the ground. And one other thing, I hope we don't have to put new trees in the ground this year. You know, one of the problems we have with this heavy snow layer is uh, if you don't have those stems protected, unfortunately, shrews are going to get them down at the bottom. And sometimes, yeah, that can be really devastating. They can just uh, girdle around the base of the tree. They obviously uh, don't have a lot to feed under there, so they seem to find the trees. So we've talked a little bit about protecting, which is so important. But uh, the other thing with this kind of heavy layer with rabbits on top, sometimes we get some real uh, severe uh, rabbit damage on the upper portion of the tree as well. But We'll just have to see how that shakes out. I think uh, we are looking forward to another very good year. If you do lose a tree or if you're wanted, you're thinking about putting in another, I think, again, we probably want to line up those that tree stock early because uh, there has been a surge in interest ever since the COVID era there. And, uh, you, you know, you kind of have to plan your production schedules with many of these trees 10, 15 years prior to when you're going to sell them so no one really anticipated this so a lot of uh, fruit trees as well as other deciduous trees going to be a little bit short supply i'm sure again this year so take a little look make your plans now uh you might even want to contact uh, some of your nurseries they're out uh, greenhouses are beginning to seed right now season is beginning to start doesn't hurt to line something up or you could ask them when their trees are coming in and then make sure you get uh first in line if you are planning to either replace or put a new one in the ground. But there's one activity that uh, we really could do as as the weather moderates here in early February, Dave. How do we know uh, what branches to take off? Anything that's rubbing against another branch, or I guess if they're dead or not looking good? Yeah, you know, uh, the, the pruning is kind of art and science, and I'm going to keep it real, real simple for mm-hmm. folks. 
you ideally want one central leader, so there should only be one stem. And uh, oftentimes you'll see a lateral, in other words, a branch that comes off for that main stem, and it wants to works, works its way vertical. Mm. So suddenly we've got two dominant stems and kind of what we call a slingshot crotch there. And that slingshot there, that's where the tree can break down, and sadly it'll break down just about at the time when you've got a heavy fruit load on there and you get some damage that occurs from it. So the big thing is one main stem, and then you want to prune off anything that's coming off that main stem at a steep angle. You want things that are as close to perpendicular or 90 degrees as possible so we get strength. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to, uh, we're trying to prune this tree, particularly at a young age, so that it will be structurally sound and it will be able to handle uh, real heavy fruit-bearing years, Dave. And as you mentioned, you don't want to be too aggressive uh, all at once. No, you really don't. And it, it, when we say oh, you've got all this pruning to do, if you've been doing it on an annual basis, mm-hmm. it's not a major activity. I'll probably get out on the weekend here if the weather holds and just uh, all it takes is one or two cuts typically and you can see where you're you might be getting into trouble. You're forming that uh, that slingshot crotch or that double leader, and you just want to take them off. I will say nice sharp pruning shear is really nice to have. Be a little careful when you're taking those branches off. Don't come in. Say we're taking a branch off from that main leader. Uh, you've got what we call a branch collar, which attaches right to where that stem's attached. You don't want to cut a real flush cut. You want to give yourself just a little bit of gap. You can see that little ridge, and you want to be... You want to make that cut right at what we call that, that branch collar so that the there's what we call a, a cambium layer in there that will come in and will heal that up. don't have to be concerned about pruning paints. A lot of these things are sold uh, uh, in their term pruning paints. And uh, what you can do if you want, if you feel so inclined, uh, you can use a water-soluble uh, paint there, but never an oil base. Sometimes the oil base will actually uh, encourage fungal growth. But for the most part, we don't, particularly on small diameter uh, cuts, we don't use any pruning at all, any pruning paints of any type. Mm -hmm. Uh, We let them heal naturally, and then this cambium layer on the ridge of the cut will heal that up within a couple of years, and then there's going to be no difficulty. Nice clean cut. You don't want to have a cut that traps any moisture. Moisture is the enemy. You know, once you're removed and you're cutting into that main stem, you've got tissue that's unprotected on the inside. So if you have a pocket there that retains water, uh, then you can, in fact, have some rot that occurs and it can work into the main stem. So nice, smooth cut, uh, larger diameters. You're going to be using a saw. You've got to be a little careful there. You want to drop the main portion of the branch. So you take an upper cut, lower cut, so you drop the heavier portion of the branch, maybe about 18 inches away from the main stem, so that if you cut it right at the stem, you oftentimes will get a tear right down that bark, and then you're, you're gonna be trapping water. So larger diameter stems, if you haven't done any pruning or if you have to, uh, they require a saw and a little bit more expertise. But for most folks, uh, younger trees, just a, a simple hand shear or a lopper gets the job done. And uh, just a couple of cuts should be done annually, so it's something you might want to put on your late winter to-do list here. No Band-Aids needed. No Band-Aids needed, no, (laughs) and you're going to see a lot of products sold and really unnecessary. Yeah. Um, Don't just grab the paint can uh, yourself because you can do more harm than good. If you feel that you just got to have an antiseptic on there, uh, then you can actually purchase 
uh, materials that have some kind of an antiseptic and then aerosol can. If you feel better with that, go ahead. It's probably not going to do any harm. Right. But just don't grab uh, particularly the oil-based paint can and paint those uh, those cuts. Just All let right. them go, and they're going to be fine. Thank you, Bob. We'll be back. More of the Bob Olin Show coming up. The Bob Olin Show brought to you by Dan's Feed Bin and Matilda's Dog Bakery and Boutique. And we're back with the Bob Olin Show. And, Bob, we got a caller on the line. Hi, who's this? My name is Crystal. Hi, Crystal. Hi. Um, Bob, first I want to thank you for all the gardening advice you've given me. And well, I, I, you're, you're very welcome. Thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> sure. Um, this year um, I want to start my onions and leeks from seed. I've always started them from onion sets and plants before, but I want to try them from seed, and so I'm wondering uh, what you can tell me about that. Oh, sure. I think it's a great idea. Um, I like to do that myself because there are certain varieties that I'm very partial to, and I like to like to uh, grow out specific onion seed. Uh, the big thing is you're going to be starting early. Uh, this is one of the first ones, both leeks and onions. We're going to start those about March 1st, so you're a little ways away. Do you have a preference for varieties? Um, I want storage onions, so I've... Um, I think I've gotten Spanish onions, and I forget the name. Sweet, sweet Spanish. Okay, uh, storage varieties, and I, I think that is a good idea. I never quite seem to get enough storage planted, so I wind up storing some of the sweet onions. Difference typically between a storage onion and a sweet onion, the storage onions, uh, obviously, they're going to keep well for many, many months through the winter, they tend to be just a little bit sharper. They're not quite like a sweet onion, so you have to be aware of that. So actually planting some both. Uh, the, the variety that uh, you want to look for is Copra, C-O-P-R-A, or uh, a newer one called Patterson that I grew last year that's, that's a real good storage variety as well. But you might consider, again, uh, just growing some of each, getting some seed of each, um, in terms of the sweeter onions that are going to keep for a month or, you know, two months, but they're not going to keep any longer than that. They want to start sprouting on you. But I think your uh, yellow sweet Spanish, I think, is a, is a very good overall sweet variety. Candy is another one we've grown for a long time. You want to look for what we call long-day varieties. There are short-day varieties where we tend to bulb when the days are short. Those are typically grown in the south. Texas is a big uh, production area and the intermediate day, and then our long-day varieties. So you want to kind of focus on the on the long-day varieties where when the days are getting longer, uh, the bulbs form. So you will get from seed like that, you'll probably get the very best onions. It does take some time. You have to be very patient with them. So you're going to seed them out in your seed mix. You're going to let them germinate and grow, and then they're going to have kind of a uh, furry top on them. You're going to have to just take a scissors and cut them back. So we've got uh, we've got a little time uh, here until we're going to be setting them out. But by the time you get to about May 1, again, if you want to maximize yield, don't have to necessarily go in quite that early, but if you get the opportunity, uh, you'll take advantage of all of that nice uh, those nice long days coming into the spring. So I would say... Um, a little of some of both, Patterson Cobra for the uh, keepers. Uh, certainly, uh, you mentioned the sweet Spanish, both yellow and white uh, are going to be excellent varieties for you. For sweet onion candies, another one. Red River is a variety, a red variety that you might consider as well. 
That's a very long day variety that happens to perform extremely well for us. Another red is Red Zep that's done pretty nicely for us, or Red Zeppelin, we just uh, kind of abbreviated that to Red Zep. But uh, those are all going to be very good varieties. You're going to be extremely happy. Uh, they do take uh, consistent moisture once you get them out in the field. And if it doesn't come from the heavens, you want to think about making sure you get at least an inch of water to them. Try to keep the weeds under control, and you'll be very, very pleased with the productivity you get from that. Kind of a long discussion. Any other questions you might have? Would you would you start the leaks at the same time? I'd start the leaks at the same time. And uh, leaks, again, are going to be very slow-growing. They're closely related. One of the big differences, when you set them out, when you set your hands out, you don't want to set them too deep. That bulb will just be beginning to form that should go just about right on the soil surface, a little bit below, about halfway down uh, that bulb that's begun to form. Leaks are totally different. Leaks, you're going to get them planted. Uh, you're going to dig a deeper trench, six to eight inches deep. You're going to set them firmly in the bottom of that trench. You're going to backfill with a little bit of soil. And then as they grow up, you're going to continue to, to add soil. So leaks go in very deep. You don't want to you don't want to stick them in the ground and cover them eight inches deep to begin with. But you want to have the potential for them to grow. This is what gives you that nice, long, uh, white, blanched uh, flesh on the leek. So they go deep. Uh, the onions go right up on the surface, and uh, we're going to start them and handle them about the same time in the greenhouse or in your, uh, your artificial lighting uh, setting there. Okay. Thank you very okay. much. Hey, thanks and for the great, call. They're, they're great crops. Uh, they are great northern crops for us. Uh, the leeks, I think, well, I've had some just tremendous leek soup. I have a tremendous uh, leek uh, potato salad. It goes so nicely when you're harvesting leeks and harvesting the Irish potatoes. And uh, I think they're kind of overlooked, so I'm glad she's trying uh, both of those varieties. All right. Bob, we'll take another break and be right back, 930 on KDAL, the Bob Olin Show. And we are back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. And, uh, Bob, onions already going in less than a month from now, apparently, if you want to get them started indoors, right? That's absolutely right. And uh, might encourage more people to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people will buy the what we call sets, which are uh, onion bulbs that were grown out the previous season and harvested. You get them in a bag in the store. They're sold lots of different places, mass merchandisers. I've even seen them in grocery stores, little bags of these. <laughs> And you know they'll make a good salad onion for you, and right. actually a lot of people um, get some pretty decent size out of them. They're quite happy as well. But if you really want the real large keeping onions and so forth, you really have to start from seed. And you can buy them in some of the greenhouses where they've started from seed. Mm-hmm. Not all of them, because uh, they don't want to fire up a greenhouse. The price of fuel is so high these days. If a lot of them don't start uh, seeding that early, unless they've got. Uh, and many of them have also flower seed that they're going to be starting. But uh, the, the amount of uh, space that they dedicate to those early onions is a little bit limited. That's just because of the time involved and the amount of fuel to heat a greenhouse uh, during uh, March, where you can start a lot of other things mid to late March. And uh, and the same for the homeowner. You really don't want to start a lot of these other vegetable plants until we get well into March and certainly into April as well because you've got to be able to handle them. If you don't have a greenhouse, you get them started, you get them transplanted, move them around and they're still at uh, real risk of frost and remember last year i remember it so vividly coming into may we still had snow everywhere and we got off to a little bit of a little bit of a late start but you know what uh, i got 
fooled a little bit uh, last year. Like everyone, I thought, wow, soils are are cool. We can delay, and and I think a lot of our warm season crops, perhaps we should have uh, taken a little risk and gotten them in a little earlier. Uh, certainly toward the end of May, I think, is a good planting period. So you're going to look at both the, the temperatures as well as the uh, the calendar, and you don't want to miss uh, some of those growing opportunities. There's lots of light in in the month of May as well as into uh, until the longest day in June. We really don't want to miss that good June growing period. So we don't want to go too late. A lot of people did last year, and uh, consequently the tomato crop uh, wasn't near what it could be. You know, Dave, we do have a, a program coming up. Our first one's going to be on March uh, eighth. That's going to be at Mount Iron on the range. It's going to be a good program. We're going to take a look at uh, lots of different topics, including a uh, little discussion on tomatoes. We won't mm. go real deep in a lot of the varieties, but we, we have seen some disease issues. Late blight was very severe in the northern part of the county last year, and then we've got something called the tomato spotted wilt virus, which is not a fungus. Most uh, tomato diseases are fungal. And uh, this is a little different. It's viral, and just like with the COVID-19 situation, viruses are very difficult to control. And uh, so we're looking uh, for some of the varieties that have got some natural immunity that has been hybridized into them. So we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk some of this. Uh, it's real interesting. A lot of the diseases uh, tend to hit farther in the south, and that was the case with the tomato-spotted wilt virus. It was pervasive uh, farther south in some of the major production areas. It gives us, we never saw it until last year, actually, and uh, it gives us just a little chance for the breeders. They're going to go after it. These crops are so valuable. Uh, people are not aware of the bounty that you see in the supermarket. There's a lot of risk that, that goes to producing all that and uh, has to be grown in different regions, actually different parts of the world now. And uh, disease is one of the big enemies, insects and disease that have to be kept under control. So the fact that uh, this... Uh, damage the tomato crop and tomatoes are huge they're the, they're the number one garden vegetable that's grown but they're also a very very significant uh, commercial crop when you take a look at not just uh, fresh market but you take a look at uh, tomato soups and all the spaghetti sauce <laughs> so forth that, that's grown out there all the pos all of the uh, salsa that's being produced so they're a major major crop so when a disease like this comes in uh, which can be very devastating uh, the uh, breeders go to work and try to find some resistant varieties, and by the time we see it, and we saw it last year up here, uh, they've got some varieties that are on the market. So we'll be talking about some of those varieties that have some resistance bred into the actual DNA of the plants, and that's the best way to go, particularly the only way to go when it comes to virus because we don't have really any other controls other than some natural genetic resistance state. Uh, Talking about those on, on March 8th, up at the, we'll give you some more details as we come a little closer. Also yeah. going to look at, uh, I've been kind of fascinated by all of the new color that's in the garden, so I'm going to do a little segment on putting color on your plate. Uh, Deb Erickson Burns is going to do something for us on uh, putting color into your landscape. We've got a grower's panel put together. We'll be talking about sweet potatoes as well as some Irish potatoes. We've got Lots going on on that particular day, and it will be uh, nearly a full day for us. It'll be a lot of fun for the folks up on the range, Dave. That sounds good. Hey, Bob, uh, the last caller was talking about planting leeks. Tell me what a leek is and how it's, uh, I guess, different from, what, a green onion or something. Yeah, it is It's it is different. Um, uh, for folks that are not familiar with them, they have a very long growing stem. I mentioned mm -hmm. the fact we handle them differently, we plant them differently. Yeah. Um, you want this nice, fleshy stem where you... Uh, an onion has a bulb. They're, they're actually, they are closely related, but totally different species. And um, 
you want to keep that nice long stalk uh, white so they they blanch them. Hence this uh, oh. uh, process of planting them deep and then filling that channel with soil as you work away, your way up so the, the stem itself can expand. You still have the green and leafy part on the on the top, but this we're really going to be growing and blanching a nice thick fleshy stem. Now this is what an onion is as well, but it's in a bulb form. And an onion really is a series of leaves that are compacted one on top of the other. So it's really a fleshy stem, but a lot of fleshy leaves as well. So they're, right. they are a little different. Uh, they obviously have a slightly different flavor. I think more onions are grown certainly than leeks. They're kind of considered a specialty crop. But because they are both cool season crops, they both grow extremely well for us. Good. I mentioned the production farther south of the long day crops. That would be... Uh, Texas is a huge uh, onion production area, but that's a winter crop for them. Again, they're cooler season. So these are not really warm season crops. These are cooler season crops that grow very slowly over an extended period of time, and uh, they're very well suited for us. But again, good varieties, starting either from transplants you get from a greenhouse, which was started from seed that year, or starting your own from seed, and then uh, nice, consistent um, moisture as you go through the entire season. So they're going to take, you know, uh, much of the season you'll be harvesting in early August if you get them in in early May. But uh, nice, slow growth, and we can get some that are very, very mild. I mentioned some of the sweeter varieties, wonderful for salads. And we can also get uh, varieties that will keep well through the through the winter months. I've got some of these. Uh, Patterson was one of the storage varieties I grew last year and. Here it is mid-February, and there's no sign of them deteriorating at all. They're still uh, very, very good, and I don't have ideal storage condition, a little warmer than what I'd like. They're stored ideally cool and dry, about uh, 35 to 40, but unlike a potato, uh, we don't want high moisture. We want low moisture, so they really require rather specific uh, cool but dry storage, and then they'll certainly store until the next uh well into the next uh, season, Dave. Great, both are great crops, and I'm yeah. glad we got that question. Uh, and you can certainly start your own from seed. Seed is very inexpensive. The cost comes in really the time that you have to dedicate to growing those out, and then the, the kind of the slow growth process for you. Yeah, but your labor will be rewarded at the end. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> there's something about this. And on one of our sessions in April, we're going to talk a little bit about the economics since food uh, inflation is a concern yeah. for people. But uh, there, there's more than just the, the return on this hobby. It's the, uh, the real satisfaction that comes from growing some of your own. And that's, that's probably true of so many things, whether you're, uh, you make, you're a good cook, it's the satisfaction of preparing the good meal, not just the taste. Uh, if you're a good teamstress, it's the satisfaction of that garment that you've been able to put together. Good gardeners, again, it's the satisfaction of a, of a real high-quality crop that you knew you grew yourself. You know it's safe because you didn't have to use any uh, harsh chemicals at all on it, and uh, you know that the quality is definitely going to be superior to anything else you're going to get, Dave. All right, we'll take another break, Bob. Uh, the Bob Olin Show brought to you by Dan's Feed Bin and by Matilda's Dog Bakery and Boutique. Bob, uh, you got your Christmas tree out in the backyard now, I assume. Yeah, we do. Uh, I was surprised, I think, over the next couple of days. You <laughs> noticed just yesterday how some of those snow banks uh, really began to recede, which is a good thing. They're kind of ugly when they get dirty along the road. But, oh, uh, yeah. boy, some of those banks, uh, visibility was an issue. So actually melting a little bit of this down 
is not bad. It's going to be very interesting, Dave, to see what the remainder of our winter looks like because, as you know, you probably have the most current figures, but uh, mm-hmm. I think we uh, we averaged at the airport a little over 80 inches a year, right. and we're already up to about 71. So Another I'd couple think, inches uh, uh, last night, as a matter of fact. Yes, we did, as mm-hmm. a matter of fact. So we're getting pretty close to average right now, and we might <laughs> definitely be above average if oh, we yeah. get some of those March uh, March snowstorms, of course. But it's all good. Um, you know, we, we did uh, talk about that earlier. We didn't have any frost in the ground, so this is, for the most part, unless mm-hmm. we get a real fast melt, this is going down in the ground, even even some of these melting days. Um, you know, we are aware, and I think the drought in the southwest of the portion of the United States has just uh, reemphasized the fact that uh, so much of uh, human life everywhere really depends on water. And uh, we're very fortunate in this country because we've got uh, large landscapes that typically be dry in the southwest. But uh, we had good rain last year in our landscapes. The Midwest did fine. Hay production was good. Uh, corn production was good. So uh, people had a, were able to grow enough, so people had pretty good diets. So I think uh, we're fortunate that way. So the fact we got the snow and the fact it came now, if it had come, we'd have had that cold frost freezes earlier. We had a lot of frost in the ground. Then we get a lot of flooding and runoff. But at least in this area, uh, that certainly looks uh, very, very good. See, Dave, you know, I just want to go back. We're talking a little bit about seeding. If you do plan to seed, again, let's, and it's a, it's a fun activity. You have to think a little bit about, do I have enough light? I can get things started. But once I've got these plants seeded, I'm going to transplant them, and then do I have enough light to grow them out so they don't stretch and become unmanageable? Uh, you don't want to start too early, and we can kind of coach you. In the vegetable world, uh, March 1 is probably the earliest you're going to be planting some of this seed. And then, uh, But you do want to line up things like your seed. You want to line up a good seeding mix. That's different than a potting soil. So you want to go to... Uh, well, one of our good sponsors, I know they've got them, Dan's, would have a seeding mix for you, which doesn't contain any fertility at all. And uh, the critical thing is uh, seed will germinate based on the uh, the carbohydrates that's stored in the seed. All it needs is uh, warmer temperatures, typically about 70 degrees and, and adequate moisture. You don't want them sitting in the water, but you want things to be moist. So we really don't have to worry about fertility until we get a green plant. Then at that point, so... We typically will start with a seeding mix, which is uh, well-drained, and it can be any number of materials. Uh, most of them are, have a peat base to them, but you can seed in uh, just straight vermiculite, uh, uh, horticulture grade if you wanted, and other materials you can seed in. Uh, but then you've got to lift them, you've got to transplant them, and you're going to transplant them into a more complete mix. That's a potting soil mix. So if you're out there shopping various places, and uh, there are lots of outlets that have these mixes. I'm surprised uh, they don't miss the season. By uh, January 1, they were already setting out seed and, and seed mixes and so forth. But uh, potting soil and seeding mixes are totally different. Uh, once you've got the plant up and growing, and we say typically to the uh, the first minimum, first true leaf. Now, the, the leaves that are going to pop first were actually formed down in the seed itself. So they're not what we consider true leaves. But then this plant will initiate uh, new leaves and these are the true leaves so if you've got tomatoes as an example the, the plant is going to be relatively small when you move to transplant so you get one or maybe two of the true leaves that are formed and then you can actually pick them up and then you transplant them into a potting soil mix and this will contain either some slow release nutrient or you can add nutrient over the top 
some uh, water-soluble fertilizer to give them the nutrients that they need to continue uh, their growth. So a couple things to think about. You can line up those supplies. You can line up the seed, but it is just a little bit early, uh, way early for things like tomatoes, which is what most people will give a try. And uh, we're looking there at the, um, certainly April 1, probably the earliest we want to be starting tomatoes. Well, according to uh, the massive amounts to choose from, you better check out the uh, seed catalogs and get your seed now so you make sure you get what you want. Well, that's true, and um, we got some new ones. I brought back <laughs> a variety called Defiant, which we grew out. It's a good tomato. Yeah. Uh, it's a indeterminate that uh, has some disease resistance. And I brought it back on our recommended list because of the problems we've had just lately. Um, it I, I dropped it just because there are some that perform a little bit better, yields are a little higher, but I think I'm going to go back to that, and that is still available. We do have recommended seed lists, and they'll be provided for people that attend the educational sessions, both for fruits of all types and for vegetables of all types. So uh, we've got the 2023, and if people just want to buy a copy of that, they can they can contact St. Louis County Extension Service at uh, 218-733-2870. Uh, there's a $5 charge for the vegetables, which includes the postage, and there's uh, a $4 charge for the fruit varieties. But it gives you a real good starting point, and we're going to use that. I know our greenhouse industry, uh, I always get requests from them because they want to grow out a lot of these, and I'm actually supplying, mailing a couple out to them uh, today so that we have varieties that are well-suited for this area. So many to pick from. Uh, I never... Uh, argue vehemently with people if they have a favorite variety uh, and, and I often try varieties that people suggest but these are varieties we've grown over the years and new ones that we had in our trials and it, it gives you kind of a start, nice starting point to get good varieties. Variety selection is is significant. It is important for people. Yeah, good to have a tried and tested by Bob Olin varieties. Well, these are, these are some, and I, I do get some help, too. I got other yeah. commercial growers that will look at my list and say, well, you got to include this, you got to do that. So, I'll, But we actually do seed them out. We do grow them out. We do take a look at them, and uh, we feel we've got some pretty good varieties on that list. All right. The Bob Olin Show is brought to you by Dan's Feed Bin and by Matilda's Dog Bakery and Boutique. We'll be right back. And we are back. Final portion of the Bob Olin Show here on Tuesday. Bob, welcome back. Thank you. You know, I loved your forecast there. It is going to be nice and comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Did you notice we're, we're getting that January thaw in February? Yeah. Like we had, I think we had the coldest of the week of the year uh, last week, mm. and uh, that's typically the third week in January. So everything seems to be delayed a little bit. I just hope that our ultimate spring planning isn't delayed a little bit there, Dave, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, you'll have to dig through the snow to plant, I suppose. <laughs> We're not going to rush that season for sure. <laughs> um, it is, uh, you know, warmer temperatures like that. We like the mid-30s. Plants can take yeah. that. What we don't like is a lot of 40 and 50s because then actually we begin to break dormancy. Yeah. And then we know it's going to get cold, so there can be some damage. But we, we're not going to worry about that. We no. can't control that anyway. So Don't want it to be too it, nice too early. We don't want it to be too nice too early. No, <laughs> right. we we want the the sixty degree weather in the, in the May. Thank you, rather than in uh, in late February or March. We're going to sure. see if we can squeeze in another call here, Bob. Hi, who's this? Let's do that, Barb. Barb, go ahead. Hello, Barb. I'd like that contact again for the information on veggies and fruits. Can you give me that information? Sure, I'd be happy to. Call the St. Louis County Extension Service. I'll go slow. It's two one eight seven three three. 
281-733-2870. And you can just uh, pick up the phone and tell them you're looking for the 2023 vegetable variety list or the 2023 fruit variety list. Uh, they're quite extensive with a lot of seed sources there. It's multiple pages, and uh, I think uh, they're pretty helpful. So they're all updated and ready to go for you. Okay? Great. Thank you. All right. Thank you, you very much. Thanks for the call. Yeah. Yeah, we appreciate that. And uh, I would know, imagine that would be good for next year, too, right? <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. I you mean, you, bunch you again, buy one right? and you've got the seed sources. Although you'd be surprised how much changes in here. Right? Wow. I, well, I'll give you one example. First right. on the list is, is, is asparagus, and uh, forever we've been growing the Jersey Series, the Jersey Giants, the Jersey Supreme, and uh, all of a sudden uh, the main propagator uh, must have either retired or gave up the ghost or something. The whole Jersey Series is gone. Oh, so I just scramble around and find another good asparagus. Uh, we've had open pollinated varieties, one called Mary Washington, which we've had on the list. Uh, these are, they have both female and, and male spears, so they're not near as productive. The Jersey series is all male that you can harvest every year uh, early in the spring. But we do have another one that we've had in our trials called Millennium, and we've got that on the list with a seed source. That's actually uh, an improved variety that we found. A uh, Canadian variety came out of the University of Guelph and Guelph, uh, uh, their horticulture program, their breeding program. So we do have that on there for you. But there's just the first example, and that all just changed in, in the last year. And we've got this note on there of, of some of the uh, disease-resistant tomato varieties as well. So lots of new stuff on there every year. But the old tried and true, there are some varieties that have probably been on there since we first started doing this, and uh, they're still performing nicely for us today, Dave. Yeah, like you mentioned last week, asparagus get uh, a little more popular now than it used to be. Oh, asparagus is just a marvelous spring crop for us. The, the downside is, you know, it takes about three years to get it going and get ah, it yeah. established. But, you know, time goes by so fast. There you go. Buy the plant, get them started, get them going, and three years later. And if you happen to move, you can point out the fact that's very valuable to have a good perennial crop like that for you. And a lot of what we're getting is imported from outside of the country. I'm never really comfortable with that. I'd rather grow my own. And in, in our case, you don't have to use any pesticides. you got to do a little bit of weeding to keep the weeds out of them, but uh, they're a tremendous crop uh, for us. And one, everyone that's got an established asparagus patch looks forward to it every year because they are delicious. Steam asparagus, uh, along with your favorite meat, is just a marvelous, marvelous uh, spring meal. Yeah, great on the grill, too, if we get the uh, spring day where you can get the grill out. Yeah, people are really roasting them and yeah. grilling them. Yeah, it's a big, big deal roasting. I think for sure. I hear from so many people. I just steam them up, but I got to try roasting <laughs> some again, again this year. But there's a change, and we're there are several new varieties out there right. now. They're you know the amazing thing is uh, in a free enterprise society like this, there are niches that get filled. So one producer leaves the scene. Maybe he just got tired. This. <laughs> This is something that takes a lot of energy, but we were all pretty disappointed. There were some very nice Jersey varieties out there. Originally developed in New Jersey at Rutgers and then went out there, and I'm not sure exactly what the history was. But we do have at least one uh, very, very good variety, very productive uh, all-male spears. Uh, so Millennium is the variety. And we'll just mention that any place you can get it, and we're just here not to make a profit. We're here to, to try to just get good information out to people. So wherever you can find Millennium, uh, there's going to be your best asparagus variety for this area. Speaking of good information, we'll have more for you next week. 
Yeah, we will. I was going to uh, <laughs> people through the process of handling their geraniums. We'll save that All one right. for next week, Dave. Okay? Look forward to that for sure. Thanks, Bob. 958 The Bob Olin Show brought to you by Dan's Feed Bin and Matilda's Dog Bakery and Boutique. The Bob Olin Show has been brought to you by Dan's Garden Center. Located in Dan's Feed Bin in Superior. And by WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig.